Okay, so yesterday we started chapter 20. And the idea that we um, focused on is the way the Alter Rebbe redefines what positive and negative mitzvahs are. When one does a positive mitzvah, they are doing the same thing as the mitzvah of the positive mitzvah of regarding idolatry, which is um, which is some positive affirmation or some positive actualization of Hashem's unity. And conversely, when one um, violates a negative commandment, they are doing the same thing as the negative commandment of idolatry of having another God. Right? And um, at the end of the class, I gave an example um, where if we reconceptualize what is happening, right, then, then we think about it differently. So just review the, the example in Halacha, and I want to spend a little time developing this, make sure it's clear to everybody, and then we'll continue. Um, the Lacha was that one is required to fight a war on Shabbos to defend Jewish lives, and even if that requires um, going on the offensive and, and attacking first. And Halacha distinguishes between when the enemies are threatening to take lives versus the enemies are threatening just property. And then the, law, the, the Code of Jewish Law says that in a situation where there's a threat to a border town, even when we know the enemies are only interested in raiding it for something as... as um, small as some hay or straw, nevertheless, we're supposed to engage in a preemptive attack even on Shabbos. And so the question is, well, well, why? And the idea being is that we conceptualize a raid on a border town, even if it's a, something just for stealing straw, as a disregard for the regional integrity for the borders. And that we conceptualize as a threat to the lives of everybody. And so it's a case of pikuach nefesh, quite a threat to life. Right? So by reconceptualizing it, different rules apply. Um, and we have many, many things where um, we think about it differently and other things make more sense. So, for instance, um, we spend a lot of money um, buying a lulav and an esrog, right? Which, if you think about it, you just, you just take some plants and you hold them and wave them around for six days, right? But something we think about the esrog is different, right? If I say, if I were to say... Um, um, lemon, orange, esrog, right? Esrog just registers in the mind as being different, right? It's a kind of a religious mitzvah type of a thing. It's not just another kind of citrus fruit. Make sense? So the author wants to do is that, that every mitzvah, regardless of what actually the physical action is being, oblig- is being being mandated or being prohibited, really conceptually what's going on, it's either an affirmation of God's unity or, or, or it's an act of worshiping idols. And thus, the first two commandments, those first two sayings, contain the entire Torah. Are there any questions on this point before we go forward in the text? And I do want to again emphasize that this is, there is something radical in saying this, right? Because... You know, it's, it's, it, 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 the consequence of this is there's no such thing, at least in this perspective, as a smaller sin. There's no such thing as a, um, as a, as a bigger mitzvah. And not in terms of the act of rebellion against Hashem, but in terms of the content, the substance of what you're actually doing. Yeah? Well, it 
so you're saying if um, we're required to wear a war on Shabbat if lives are at risk, but right. if, but not if the enemy is just interested in money. Okay. But, but a border town, even when they're interested in money, we, we, we conceptualize that as life at risk because it has to do with the integrity of the border. Okay. So continuing in the text, this is why we heard only I am the Anochi and you shall not have directly from the Almighty, as our sages say, because these two are the sum of the whole Torah. When Hashem gave the Torah, only the first two sayings of the Ten Commandments were actually said to the Jewish people directly by God. After that, everything was given to Moshe and then transmitted to the people. This is actually the basis of how we know that there are 613 mitzvahs. I'm sure everyone's heard that there are 613 mitzvahs, yes? The 613 mitzvahs is, um, in the Talmud, derived from the verse that it says, Torah tziva lanu Moshe. Moshe commanded us Torah. Torah has the numerical value of 611. And if you add the two commands we heard directly from God that were commanded via Moshe, you end up with 613. And it's not just that it happens to be, it's not just that it happens to be that two we got directly from Hashem and then the other 611 we got via Moshe. It's because the other 611 are simply detailed manifestations of the two that we heard from Hashem. My Shurabinu was also 613. What? My I did not know that. Is that with the yud or without the yud? I'm trying to figure it out. Now. Okay. <laughs> All right. You know, kugel is the same gematria as Shabbos. Is it actually? That's cute. Let's work it out. No, this is from a couple. Try it. What do Spartans do then? Kugel's gematria Shabbos. You can you can work it out. See. Okay. How do you spell Kugel in Hebrew? Kuf, Vav, Gimel, Lamed. You worked it out? I do now. Can I ask a quick question? You are, she's working out the no, Kugel's much. What? Kugel, Kuf, Vav, Gimel, Lamed 139, yeah. So Shabbos is Shabbos. Well, Shabbos is Shin, Beis, Saf, which is? Yeah. No. No. Well, you have to eat more than one piece of Google. Uh, <laughs> you have to eat several pieces. Before... <laughs> okay. I was not expecting that. People laugh. So it worked. You like waited for someone to work it out. That's funny. If that one worked out, I wouldn't make it. That's funny. The mind of Spotify would get like some sort of complaints. They're like, often doesn't know how to do laundry. I was wondering why you were actually waiting for someone to make yeah, I was also like, okay. Yes. Um, the idea of the mitzvahs that we brought up about, like the preemptive war, even on Shabbos, whatever that, where does this, where does that come in in what the Tanya is saying? Because I, I want you to realize how examples of the notion of reconceptualizing something, right? There's some people coming to steal some straw. Why are we fighting a war on Shabbos? Mm-hmm. And the answer is because we don't think of it as people coming to steal straw. We think of it as danger to life because it's showing that the, our enemies don't respect our borders. Right. right. So that reconceptualization means we treat it differently. And that's, a, and that's similar to what the, that, that's similar to what is doing. He's saying, you think you're giving tzedakah. You're not giving tzedakah. You're affirming God's unity. Mm. Oh, okay. You think you're just eating pork. You're not eating pork. You're worshiping idols. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, 
So it's that re... That reconceptualization and how a reconceptualization can totally change how you relate to something. Mm -hmm. Okay. In order to elucidate this matter clearly, we must first briefly refer to the subject and essence of the unity of the whole and blessed be he. Now we're going to go off Now we're going to do the unity of Hashem. So we're done. We're done with talking about Torah. We're going to talk about the unity of Hashem. Who is called one and unique and all believe that he is all alone, exactly as he was before the world was created, when there was not beside him, besides him, as it is written, you are the same before the world was created, you are the same since the world has been created. This means exactly the same without any change, as it is written, for I, the Lord, have not changed. See, isn't I'm, 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 I'm holding myself back from explaining every little detail because we would be here for way too long of a time. So I'm going to start with the basic idea and then we'll work our way into some of the details of the wording. Okay. First, I want everyone to look again at the part that I read right? and notice where I stopped, right? We're discussing the unity of Hashem. Correct? Mm-hmm. How, in, what is the idea of the unity of Hashem, right? Hashem's unity means what? In this text, as it's been described in this text. If I had to, what? The fact that Hashem has not changed. Right? So we're equating the unity of Hashem with the unchangingness of Hashem. Now, is that obvious to you why Hashem being one, Hashem being unified? And him not changing are the same thing? Yeah. So explain. Because there are no multiple versions of it. It's just one. But that's not what the text said, though. Why? Because he, before creation and now, he's the same God. But that's not what it said. Unity. What do you mean? Unity is the same thing as right. Hashem's unity. So Hashem is always united one. Okay. Never separate into different parts. Parts. Okay. So, you can see. But. And that equals united. But if Hashem was also separated, let's say there was, God forbid, 27 parts to Hashem, and then he creates a world, there's still 27 parts to Hashem, it didn't change. Right? But that, that doesn't mean that necessarily united, that they're all united. I'm aware of that. There's two concepts here that he's equating. One concept is called the unity of Hashem, and the other is that Hashem doesn't change when the world is created. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. If if the world was created, okay. This is my wife, and if this is an emergency, she'll call me back. And if it's not, then I'll call her back later. Okay. Let's break this down. What does it mean that something is one, is united? That's as opposed to being multiple, right? So, what it means that something's changing means that it's different than the way it was before. It doesn't mean it's one. Okay. So now, if Hashem is the same as before the world was created, as after the world was created, does that necessarily mean that he is one? No. 
Do you see what I'm like? like, like if there, it, it is it. Before the, it's very important that in, when we're doing this entire discussion, we're not coming from a place of just dogma. That we know this is what Judaism said. Everything has to be entertained as a legitimate possibility. If in fact Hashem were not one, could it still be this case that Hashem would not be changed by creating the world? Yes. Yes. Seemingly. So now that's problematic to understand how we're equating Hashem not changing with Hashem is one. Hashem is one. unity. Give more validity to like people that believe in like Mazalais and like constellations as high powers. Because if you're saying Hashem didn't change before, that means they also existed before creation. Okay. They were separate. Maybe, but I don't want to. I want to go too straight too far from the text. So. This is very important. I'm going to keep doing this over and over again. That we're all on the same page as we go step by step. Because we're doing very hard philosophy. Is it everyone clear that it is not intuitively obvious without explanation that God being unified, God being one, and God not changing because the world is created are not the same thing? They could be explained to be the same thing. Okay. Now look back in the text and try and see where in the text the Altabah says how they're the same thing. Before the world was created. He was alone before. He was alone. Okay. In other words, we are focusing on a specific, for lack of words, aspect of God's being that is unchanged. What aspect of God's being is unchanged by the creation of the world? His aloneness. So before God created the world, he was? And after he creates the world, he is still? Alone. One second. Now, okay, is being alone and being one, is there some, does that seem more intuitively connected? Yeah. Okay, so let's now flesh this out. Let us say we had one person, or only one person. And for argument's sake, we'll just give that person a name, we'll call him Adam, because we need to give him a name. Adam's a good name, right? Um, and he's one person, right? And he's alone. Now, his being one person is different than the way you and I are one person. In what way is Adam's being one person different than you and I are being one person? He's the only person. Because he's the only person, right. He's the only person. Whereas we're just, I am one person if we ignore the other people. Right? So his being one person and my being one person are not the same kind of being. We're not using the notion of one in the same way. Good? Okay. Good? Now. We all remember our chapter two of Gracious, Genesis chapter two. What happens after God makes Adam, Adam, this solitary, singular, alone person? He rests. What? Shabbat. No. Shabbat rest? No. Creates No. He separates Adam. No. <laughs> You're just guessing. You're not remembering. He tries to find it. Yeah, he said it wasn't good for man to be alone. Before that, I think God makes a, animals. God makes a bunch of animals and brings them to Adam, right? That's the first thing he does, right? That's, God makes Adam. Adam is alone. And he goes, okay, well, here's some dogs and here's some sheep and here's some cats. What do you think? He came before the animals. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 2. Oh, I thought the animals came. Well, that's what it says in Genesis chapter 1. Right. You have to remember all the verses. We don't do biblical exegesis by ignoring some verses and paying attention to others. Okay. <laughs> That's what happens when you give up Christianity. <laughs> um, so, Adam is 
alone because he's the only person. And then God makes a bunch of animals, right? Is he still alone? Yeah, it says yeah. What do you mean what? That's what happened. Do you, to, of, do you want me to get a homish and read it to you? Yeah. He names, Adam names the animals. He goes around the names of them. Okay. 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 The Yitzhar Shemokim has Adam Afram and Adama. Hashem formed man, the man, dirt from the earth, and he blew into the breath of life, and man became a living being. He planted a garden in Eden, from the east, and he, played, and he put the man that he formed there. Okay, then he goes and describes the garden. Okay. Okay. God said, I will make him a helper. And then what did he do? God then formed all the animals. It's the first thing God does, right? Puts in the garden, like, hmm, that man's kind of alone. I will make for him some animals. animals. And all of the birds of the sky. And then he brought them to Adam. Why? Lira said, to see what he would call them. Okay. So, was he alone still? Yes. As the only human, but not as the only creature. Right. In other words, now it gets a little more sophisticated, right? Aloneness, right, is something that is much more complex, is much more dynamic than just simply you are or you're not, right? I mean, we go even further, right? Even when, well, if you're the only person and there's no animals, there's still like the earth, the sky, right? Right? So, in he, as much as Adam is a physical entity, he's not alone ever, right? In as much as he is a living being, he's not alone if there's like animals. But in as much as he's a human being, he remains alone until Chavah's created. created, right? Good? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, before God created the world, what was there? Nothing, Nothing but him. So he was alone. alone. Then he creates the world. What is there now? Creation. There's him and creation. Is he alone? Yes. Yes. Creation. I mean, it, on the he level that. What? He, he is still alone. Because there's no other God. But that doesn't either imply that he's Wait, 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 wait. He's alone. Let me go slowly. The text says that he remains alone. As alone? No. More sophisticated. Or less alone? As alone. Less alone. Less alone. Look in the text. Same alone, but, but just exactly. It says the same. Just wait. It's, let me, we're not going to make any progress unless you let me teach, okay? When we do the like relationship stuff, there's more room for talking. When we do this kind of stuff, you have to be very, very patient and very pedantic and very methodical. Simple question. Does the text say that Hashem is alone in the same way he was before the creation or to a different degree? Exactly the same. Okay. Now, when the animals were created, was Adam alone to the same degree as he was before they were created? 
No. Right? So is, is saying that Adam remains alone because he's still the only human being a good um, parallel, a good comparison to what the altar is describing? No. No. no if I were to say before God created the world, he was the only divine being, and after he he's still the only divine being, in that sense he's still alone, that's fine. But he's not the only thing that exists. He's not the only thing that's real. He's not the only thing that carries significance, right? And so he is alone, but not in the same degree as he was. And that's the intuitive way, right? If I were to ask somebody who's a deeply thinking person, they never learned Chassidus, they never learned this text or any other text like this, I were to ask them, okay, there's God. There's only one of the gods. God is only, there's only one God. And God creates the world. The world is made of the heaven, the earth, right? The celestial bodies, the, the, the plants, the animals, human beings. We'll include angels, right? Before God creates all that, he's alone, right? After he creates that, is he still alone? And they would think about that and they would say, well, okay. Well, in as much as none of those things are divine beings like he is, in that sense, he remains alone. But in the sense that there are now other things that have existence, that have significance, right? That he can be standing in relation to, in that sense. Is he, is he still alone? No. no. So his aloneness is not the same after creation as before, before creation. But what is the text asserting? That it is the same. That it is the same. So anything about Hashem in which it would make sense he, he, there was only him in that sense after the, the world comes into existence it's still that's only applicable to him so before Hashem created the world what was the only thing that mattered? Hashem. and after he creates the world? Hashem before Hashem creates the world what was the only thing that existed? Hashem. after Hashem creates the world what's the only thing that exists? Hashem. before Hashem created the world what's the only thing that had power? After the world's created, the only thing that has power? You, you see how this is going? Okay, now, is this obviously true, or does this require explanation? It requires explanation, because, I mean, it, on the face of it, we exist, we have significance, I mean, right? We seem to have some abilities, some power, right? We need to understand how this claim can be true, that Hashem remains alone after the world exists to the same degree he was alone prior to the world coming into existence. Good? Okay. okay. Is, there, yeah. is there a reason why it says he doesn't change versus just saying he's the same? Like the negative? <sighs> One second. I'm not sure, but the expression doesn't change as a verse. Um, okay. Before we go forward in the text, I want, to, I, want, I want to address some stuff that's not directly in the text, but is relevant to this text. Before Shem created the world, did he care whether or not I made a brach on my water? 
And then by that logic, what the text is saying? He changed. No, he does. He doesn't. Uh, that, that, that I don't make a in my water. By that logic, what is Judaism then? Not, Not important. Irrelevant. Now, if that's how you understand what Hasidus is saying, then you would label Hasidus as a heretical movement, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So is that what Hasidus is saying? Okay. The thing you have to keep in the back of your mind is that whatever this ultimately has understood ultimately comes back down to helping us appreciate why it's really important to do, to do Torah mitzvahs. And if your understanding of it leads you to the opposite conclusion, then somewhere along the way you made a very serious mistake in understanding the intent of, these, of, of, of this text or any Hasidic text. Now it makes sense why people want to stop. That's right. Okay. There are many things in Hasidus which when taken, which when you, tr- when you uh, try to understand them and apply them, but you do it without the proper understanding of what Chassidus is really saying, words, you apply the slogan without really understanding the sophistication, you end up with conclusions uh, that are the opposite of what Chassidus is trying to instill. Chassidus is trying to instill ultimately that the most important thing that you could possibly do is make a bracha before you drink some water. And the worst thing you could do is drink the water, right? It, in the explanation that you come to the conclusion, it doesn't really matter to God whether they make the bracha or not. Like clearly somewhere, <laughs> something got confused, right? Good? Okay. Now, that's clear? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to point something out in the text. Okay. The text says, Exactly as it was before the world was created, when there was not beside him, as it is written, you were the same before the world was created. You are the same since the world has been created. Okay. Why in the passive? Why not say you are the same before you created the world and you're the same after you created the world? What's the difference between passive verbs and active verbs? Um, you're doing the action, and the action's happening to you. If I'm describing the same event and I use a passive verb and active, what's the difference between saying the government said such and such, or it was said? You're focusing on the subject versus what's. Right, it shifts your focus, right? That's why politicians like to use passive verbs <laughs> and avoids responsibility. It broke. There was a cancellation. No. <laughs> it occurred. That's actually, that's actually turning into now, which is even worse. Right? <laughs> right? It was canceled. Who canceled? It was canceled. <laughs> Let's just talk about the fact that it is no longer happening because it was canceled. How it was canceled? Who canceled it? Not important. Right? Um, Now, if you turn to the next page, this becomes more obvious as an important point. I'm just going to, um, if you turn to the next page, we'll skip ahead for a little bit. You see the, the, on the fourth line, um, there's a new sentence which starts, for just as. Yeah. For just as he was alone, all alone, single and unique before they were created, passive, so too is he one and only single and unique after
What is it? Okay. Okay, in the Hebrew, it's an active verb. I don't know why the translator kept it a passive verb, but he shifts it. In the Hebrew, it says, Koydim Hibarim, before they were created, so too, Achar Shabarim, after he created them. It shifts from a passive to active verb. There's, yeah, so it says that God was alone before the world was created, and he remains alone even after he creates the world. The text in the Hebrew, that's what it says. In the English, he didn't translate it that way, which is annoying. How does the world come into existence? Okay, what does that mean? Spoken. Hashem created it. Said. He said. He opened his mouth and he made sounds and the world came into existence. I'm asking. Yes. So he has a mouth and he makes sounds. Written. The word, Torah. Was it, he, so now you're shifting. He wrote the world into existence well, or he spoke, spoke it into existence? Word. So he spoke it. Yes. So he opened his mouth and he made sounds. Yes. So before... Okay, so let me get this clear. So before the world existed, there was God and his vocal cords and his lungs and air. Well, I don't know if he had all that, but it... So then how did he said. speak? Try speaking without air. It doesn't work. I mean, don't actually try speaking without air because... You know, I mean, speaking is, you know, exhaling air and then modulating that with your vocal cords and teeth and stuff so that it makes... <laughs> It makes patterns in the sound waves as it leaves, as, it, as the energy passes through the rest of the air, right? The sound waves. But if there's no air to carry the sound waves, no one can hear you scream in space kind of thing. So if there's no air yet, God can't speak. Either if he doesn't have lungs to exhale the air and vocal cords to modulate the air, it's, you know, it's not going to work. He created that whole idea in the first place. So then, so then you, but you haven't answered my question. How did he create? Intention. Oh, he intended. Okay, so now we're doing a thing. We went from writing to speaking intended. Good. So God intended there to be a world. Okay. There was an intention and it was created, no? Okay, good. That makes sense. God intended there to be a world and then there was a world, right? That's kind of the intuitive way this works. Speaking in the first place is a creation of God. Fine. I want to know how God created the world. How God creates. That's all I want to know. What happens afterwards is not material right now. Why not thought? Like it's same as intention. Well, then you're just making a semantic game, right? Yeah. Okay, so our basic mental model of what happens is that God one day decides, thinks, intends, or any other kind of word that means more or less the same thing, there's some kind of a mental orientation towards there being a world, and then voila, poof, there's a world. And for some reason, God does it in stages. So first world, then light, then whatever. Okay, fine. Yeah? But it does say clearly that it's Mm, does it? That's it. That's it. Does it? Let me open the Flemish and see. It says. Well, let's 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 yeah. Let's let's do let's do the first. It says. It says. Let's do the first one. Vayomer elikim. Hmm. Do you have a megillah? What? Okay. What does the word vayomer mean? Do you want And he said. Vayomer means and he said. What is the also the the thing is that the word omer. Amar, it doesn't necessarily mean to speak. 
It can mean to think. It can mean to intend. In fact, it's... Yeah, um, yeah. Where else do we see it meaning that? How? Um, well, it's, in the Megillah, it's over Tanakh. I mean, one says to his heart. Yeah. And by the way, even in English, the word speaking means, saying means that, right? I said to myself, doesn't mean I actually walked into a room, closed the door, started talking. <laughs> or it's all happening in here, right? The Ramban, Nachmanides, says that... I, I don't have the Nachmanides on this but he says, Vayemer just means God intended. It means Ratzin. It means will. He desire. That's just those. Which makes a lot of sense, right? But we say it's from that, like, it's from that, like, like, what's the English word? Like, not from that power, but like from, like, how did Hashem create the world? Mm-hmm. Through speech. I, I'm, I'm willing to accept that if you can explain to me what you mean. As far as right now, speech is a thing where you make sound using air and vocal cords. So if you want to explain to me what you mean something else. Is it speech bringing water from your Remember what I said yesterday that God is a hot dog in a spiritual sense? (laughs) I'm not going to let anything fly in this class unless you can tell me what you actually mean by that. The concept of that the first word is voracious before, like before Hashem created the world, there was no concept of the beginning. So maybe the word voracious itself is a creation. But how does that answer my question? I just want to know how God created the world. We don't know. I don't care what the creations are. Well, we, 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 have, we have a good theory, and it actually fits in the biblical text. God created the world by intending the world to be. Intention. Intention, desire, thinking, something in that range of things. And we think of God as a kind of volitional being. We're okay with that, right? Uh, in other words, in the grand scheme of things, between people and rocks, rocks being inanimate objects that have no kind of internal sense of anything and people who do, we kind of think of God more like a person, less like a rock, yes? Let me finish. And therefore, we seem to be okay with the idea that God could intend, desire, want, think, right? So if God desires there to be a world and then poof, there's a world, that would be a plausible way God could to create. And would it fit into the biblical text? Yeah, Yeah, because the word Vayomer does mean that. No. How do we know the word Vayomer means that? That's just yeah. Hebrew grammar. That's just the Hebrew language. Um, it works like that. Amar's think is like, it's not, no, 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 no. One of the annoying things that happens when people learn a language only through translating is they tend to think of it as a code. Okay? My kids speak fluent Hebrew and their English is like, you know, each child's a little bit different. So um, how do you say to calm down in Hebrew. If I, I tell my child to calm down. Calm down. How do I tell them that in Hebrew? Anyone know? Ragua. Ragua is the right. So ragua means to be calm. Turagi. Turagi, if it's a her. I actually don't actually remember ever telling my daughters to calm down. It's all my son. Turaga, calm down. So here's the problem. So tiraga is like a command or future form of, of calm. Make a verb. Okay. What, what about the down? Why not? Why not? Because that exactly. word says the whole thing. It says everything you need to say. It's just like when you say any sentence in Hebrew, all the, when you translate it to English, it's like a thousand words in English. Every any, language, language, every language, there's a truth every language. Every language is its own grammar. It's, and it's also its own way it conjugates and, as a, and the way it uses, the way it uses um, 
the, the, the meaning and the, and the subtext of words, all these things. And if you start like decoding words, you end up often distorting the meaning. That's why a literal translation is not necessarily an accurate translation, right? If I were to say, tiraga lamata to my child, they would be like very confused as to what I mean, okay? Um, now, you can then abstractly understand why. So I asked one of my sons last night, actually, so, I said, so, so why in English does it calm down? He thought, well, because like calm is like a kind of a lower state. And so like it kind of makes a kind of a sense that like the expression to become calm would have, would have that. It, it, but you have to think a little more abstractly to understand language. And so often to properly translate a language, you have to understand what the words can convey and mean. And words often convey many different things. And in this particular case, even in English, the word to say carries multiple layers of meaning and contrary. If I say, I, I, I said to myself, no one really thinks I, will, I like opened my mouth and talked to myself. We think I had some kind of internal dialogue, right? Right? And if you look through tons and tons of biblical and, and rabbinic texts, you see that the, the word Omer is used very often for like intent and internal thought as much as it's used for verbal speech. Okay. So it fits perfectly in the text. And a classic commentator, right? Second to Rashi, the Ramban says that the word Vayomer here should be understood as God intended, God desired. But well, what about when he like spoke to Moshe? That, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. When I ask you, by the way, he also used a different verb there. The word he usually uses is Vayedaber. Oh, okay. That's a different word. Okay. Yeah. But that's not what I asked you. Right. So, we have a basic working understanding of how God created the world. Mm-hmm. There's God, he intends the world to be, and then poof it is. Okay. What in your life works like that? That you just desire it, intend it, and it happens? Nothing. That's right, nothing. <laughs> Hence the verse, <laughs> My thoughts, God says, are not like your thoughts. Because when I think about something, they're higher. It happens. It happens. That's, that's, that's just literally, like, your thoughts create reality. So that's like, do my thoughts create reality? It's like, no, they don't create reality. I'm sorry, they don't. Why not? Why not in our own, like, Try it. Yeah. Try it. Right now. The mun. Think. Think. Mashiach. Did it work? No. Think you. Outside of you, but what about something in yourself? If I'm deciding right now to not be upset, then I could make it happen and not be upset. No, 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 no. If you decide not to be upset, if we want to, if we want to, if we want to move past slogans, by the way, as a slogan, it's a great slogan. Your thoughts create reality. Slogans oversimplify things to kind of drive the point home on a kind of an emotional level. But if you, the danger with slogans is that you actually have to unpack what they mean. They usually don't mean so. If you say that your cognition, which you have willful control over, influences the quality of how you experience both your own internal emotions and how you perceive the events that happen to you, thus radically affecting your quality of life. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's true. That's a very important thing. But it's not like, you know, if your house gets hit by a missile and you decide to think that it's no longer destroyed, it all of a sudden is no longer destroyed. In contrast, when God decides that there should be a sun, there's, there's a sun. you assume that the sun's outside of God. It sounds like when you It is outside of God. Why, why can't we just... Because we have one in chapter 21. In chapter 21, we'll talk about other things that are in and outside of God. 
Oh, actually? Yes. Because I was like, no one ever spoke about if our home world is just in God's brain. Like, how do we know that that's not the case? Like, when we I will about talk about that. In we will talk about that in chapter twenty-one and not before until chapter twenty-one. The so rules of, in the rules of this discussion until chapter twenty-one is that everything is external to God. I will explain why that's intuitive, by the way. Okay. Um, basic principle um, of Judaism is that there's something called reward and punishment. Reward and punishment is predicated on the idea that we have free will. Okay? Free will means the scope of my being outside is the scope of God's being. Okay? Which is why the classic Jewish theology is that God exists on one plane of being and the world exists on some other plane of being to which God has influence and control over Okay? I'm not saying that, that in Jewish mysticism and especially in Chassidus that that doesn't get changed or modified, but we, that needs to be examined. One of the dangers when you learn Chassidus seriously is if you've heard the Chassidus in slogan form and you haven't really understood it, then you start assuming those things without really understanding them and you don't understand, then you can't. So in chapter 21, we, we are going to address the issue of whether things are external or internal to God and then we will readdress that issue with regard to, again in chapter 22. We're not anywhere remotely there yet. So for now, we're just going to say, there's God, and when God wills there to be an earth, there's God, there's the earth. Why does the earth exist? Because he decided there should be one. What in your, li- what in your life works that way? Only things inside of you. And that takes work of its own. And that takes work on its own, you know. Yeah, the mere intent, the mere thought that it would be nice if this would be the case does not automatically make it be the case. Even your emotional state, right? You do need to yeah. do some kind of internal processing to make it happen. Okay? So we, if we want reality to be something, we have to make it happen, right? God, at least that's our working understanding right now, does he have to make it happen? He just has to want it to be that way, and it is. Good? Yes. Uh, this is an example. If you decided, I want to go to this college, that's your intent. But then you work towards it to make it happen, and then it happens. Can't your intent and your works align? So you first come up with the intention of the thought, and then you do the works to complement it, that then result into the uh, manifestation or having it exist? Chapter you know? 4 of The Gate of Trust. Which we haven't got there yet. Chapter four, um, in the fourth section, where he discusses the fourth section of things you should trust God, and he makes a distinction between the three things that you said. Okay. And basically, what he says is that your your authority over reality is in your your intent, the effort you put in, and at that point, you don't actually have control of reality. At that point, you could do both of those things, and uh, it may not happen. Hmm. And right? then that's where people, you, people can die on the way to where they're intending to go mm-hmm. and then they don't achieve the thing. That's the most obvious example. So no. Our, even, not only do our intents not actually create reality, even our efforts are not a guarantee to actually affect reality, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas God, he just like decides that there's a tree and there's a tree. Well, okay. Got it. Thank Good? Yep. Okay. So, does it make more sense to describe, if I have to pick, okay, I'm going to use grammar as a way to indicate a kind of philosophical position. Does it make more sense to say he created the world or the world was created? If I'm talking about God creating the world. Well, if I say somebody did something, right? 
then what am I emphasizing? It was done. I'm emphasizing their effort, their contribution, their involvement. Mm-hmm. But what do we just say? How does the world come into existence? Just by intention. Right? In other words, what does God actually do? Does God actually engage in some sort of process or effort to make the world come into existence? So which expression, which expression seems to be more philosophically accurate? The world was created. The world was created, which is actually how it says it in Tehillim. In Psalms it says, Hutziva, he commanded, and then it came into being. But God, God wants to rule them, poof, they were. He didn't actually have to do anything. That's the first one? That, so that makes more sense, right? That's the, that's the way first way. So, so it says, before God, so before the world was created, right? So before the world was created would mean before God even had an intent to create the world, right? Because if God already has an intent to create the world, what's going to happen? It was created. It was created. So the, you asked about things that are competitive. The expression before the world was created is not before the world actually exists, but actually even before God? Intended it. Intends there to be a world. Because once God intends to be the world, there is the world. Now we have a question, why does he use the other? Okay, now we're going to go the other way, yeah. But, okay. So now, to think about I want you, it's, it's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this slightly easier for you, okay? We are going to use time as a placeholder for, what I'm, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it anyway, levels. I'm going to illustrate an example of this so you can so you see what I mean, okay? Before I do something, I think about it. Before I think about it, right, I have some sort of model of reality that my thoughts are based on, right? So, simple example. Um, I'm thinking about how to, how to, what I'm going to make for dinner. My thoughts of what I'm going to make for dinner are based on my prior knowledge about like food, what I have in the kitchen, right? I have that kind of, that model of the world of my knowledge prior to my thoughts about what I'm going to make for dinner. And then my thoughts of what I'm going to make for dinner precede my actual act of cooking, right? Now those are temporally true, right? It is true that before, that literally the, the, the time in which I have yet to start thinking about um, what I'm going to make for dinner, I still know about cooking it. I know what's in the kitchen and all those other things, right? And then at a later point, I start thinking. And then the thinking happens at a time prior to the actual cooking, right? But there's, it's not just a difference in time. It's also a difference in level because my knowledge exists on a deeper level of my being than my thinking. And my thinking exists on a deeper level of my being than my doing. If you think about it like this, my knowledge... I, I can know many, many things all at the same time, but I can only think about one. one thing at a time, right? So my thinking is kind of moving away from my core self kind of to be a little more externally focused, to focus on one thing and, and process it, right? And then the doing is even more externalized, which is why one thing, my doing is based on my thinking, my thinking is based on what I know. So in our lives, when we go through this process of something deeper, to something more external, what happens? Any process that human beings experience has to go through time, right? When we talk about God, because God, for God there's no such thing as time, when we talk about time, we're just talking about those different, right? So in other words, like this. If God, if God doesn't create the world, is he still God? Yes, yeah. Okay. If God doesn't intend for the world to exist, is he still God? Yes. If God, doesn't, if God has no intentions for anything and he's just, 
And he just is. Is he still God? Yes. Okay. So the before God intends to create the world just means God being God. Is. Right? And only, only if God is, is can we then talk about God intending. And if we talk about God intending, then the world comes into being, right? But because we can't escape time, we think about it in terms of before and after. But it, but, so it's just a placeholder. Don't, don't try to spend too much time thinking about how it is beyond time. One thing is more fundamental than the other thing. And the other thing depends on the previous thing. That's all we're talk, trying to get at here. So before, God, before the world was created would be the same thing as saying before God intended the world to create, which means when God is just being God without, without, uh, without even a desire for a world. Okay, now, um, I want to warn you that I'm going to make all of you very upset right now, okay? How did God create the world? Intention. Obviously, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why? <laughs> because when you intend things, right, you are not taking seriously the notion of things being beyond you. I'll give you an example. You're a parent, yes? Yes. Okay. So as a parent, you discover constantly over and over again that your children have their own ability to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And you can't actually like, decide and something and then they just do it. So you have a choice as a parent. You can either continually remain frustrated because you, you think somehow your intentions and desires somehow obligate them to behave in certain ways. Or you can just recognize the fact that they exist outside of you, right? And you're going to have to interact with them in order to help, have any hopes of influencing them to do what you would like, right? Yes. That your intentions involve a complete, you, the level of intention involves a complete negation of the otherness of the other. True. There's no respect for anybody outside of yourself when you're holding on the level of intentions of thought of desire. Can you have friends? Do you want them to do stuff? Yeah. Do they always do what you want? No. You know why? Because my intention doesn't matter. That's right. And so if you choose to relate to them only from a place of your intentions, then you're never, gonna then you're never really relating to them because they don't have to listen to your intentions, right? So, so you have to have some other way of relating to them where you are actually giving some... You're, you're communicating. You're giving them some sort of credibility that like you are other than me and I have to interact with you with some sort of respect for the fact that you are not me. So right? What's that? Right? What's that? What's that? Right? Does that make yeah. sense? But that makes sense? What's it? Otherwise, 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 what you're relating to is your imaginary version of them, not the actual them. I'm not going to take any questions right okay. now. I want to keep the train of thought clear. If I'm relating to someone only with intention, the them that I'm relating to is the image in my own mind. Not the them who is other than me, who has their own being and their own choice to interact and to relate to however they, things however they want. So if I want to actually have some sort of, of, of influence on them, intention is the worst thing to go to. Right? That's how conflicts result. When I try to use intention to somehow get someone else to do something, I'm erasing them as an other being. There's zero, in other words, the most disrespectful thing you can do to a person is to relate to them from a place of your desires and your intentions. Right. Okay, so what would be the opposite of that? Where you're actually interacting with the way where you are acknowledging and giving credibility and taking seriously that they are not you. They have their own being. They have their own way of doing things and you're going to have to interact them in accordance with who they are. What are you going to have to do? Someone used a very important word. I like that word. 
began with a C. Communication. Communicate with them. Communication means somehow bridging the gap between me and you. Yeah? And now, so do, do, we have like every, do we have like an everyday word that we use when we talk about communicating between two people? Speak. Speaking. Ah, so you know how God created the world? He spoke. He spoke. Is that why it says later on the wait, 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 wait. But communication wait, wait, wait. Now, what do I mean that he spoke? I don't mean he made sound at this point. Anyway, I don't mean that he made sounds and air came out of his lungs. What do I mean? Communicated in a way. He he took something and got out of himself and made it relevant to someone other than himself. I'm not God, right? So whatever God divine influence is making me exist has to somehow get outside of God and cut to me in a way that actually resonates with me as a human being. Otherwise, I, would, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be my own being. I wouldn't have my own free will. I wouldn't have my own characteristics. If God creates the world with intention, then is there really a world? Only in his mind. Only in his mind. It's not a world of others. So how did God create the world? He spoke. He spoke. God has to speak in order to create a world. That's stupid. That would mean that God's intentions are weak and powerless like ours. Clearly God's both. intentions are powerful enough to create things. Oh, he had to have both. <laughs> having so much fun. Both. That's the answer. The answer is both. Both. The answer is both. In some sense, God's intentions create. To say otherwise would mean that God's intentions are powerless and weak like our own. In order for us to be able to exist as well, God needed to also speak. So there's kind of two layers of a creation. Mm. If we are created created because God intends us to exist, then our existence is a different kind of existence than if God creates us because he speaks us into existence. And this is all taken from the word... This is all it was used as a passive. This is all what the altar is getting at by shifting from the passive to the active. I mean, we haven't gotten to why he shifts there yet, by the way. Okay. In other words, like this. In other words, like this. In other words, like this. There's a verse in Psalms which says, Hutsiva Venivro. God commanded and they just were created. That's referring to how God creates the world. Passively. Passively. Just God then God intends the world to be, and it's just this, right? This is called creation from thought. In Genesis, it says, Bereshis bar elikim, God created, active verb. That's referring to how God creates the world. Through speech. Through speech. Now, why do I need to say that God creates the world of thought? Because if God doesn't create the world of thought, that means his thought is limited. His thought is powerless. Why? Why does that mean that? What? Because any time, it's a good question. Any time I say that something needs something else, to achieve its effect, that's showing weakness in it. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. I took my son for an x-ray today. Why did I take him for an x-ray? Because you couldn't see it. Because I can't see his hand. Or actually the doctor, the doctor needs to look at his hand. Because the doctor, if the doctor could see his bones, he wouldn't took him for an x-ray, right? So the x-ray machine is compensating for a deficiency in the doctor's vision. Now it's a deficiency we all have, so don't think of it as such a big deal. Now I have all sorts of abilities that compensate for the fact that my intentions are relatively powerless. Like if I want to understand something, that doesn't mean I understand it. I need to use a different ability, which is called brain. Brain is an organ. What ability do I need to use? Thinking doesn't help you understand. Intellect, reason. You can think in very irrational ways. It doesn't help you understand. 
Okay. Uh, if I if I intend to play the piano, right, but I don't actually move my fingers. No music. Right. Our intentions don't actually achieve any effects. There need other things to do to compensate right. for the division. Now, does it make sense to say that God that God's divine ability just is, is incapable of doing something? He needs some help, some assistance from something else. No. We're still saying that by but, saying we also need speech. No, we're not actually. But that's well, it's saying that it's not fully creating. S- <laughs> sort of. It's just a different level of creation. It's a different level of creation, but but we have to kind of. We're still saying. Wait 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 wait, wait 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 If God created the world only through intending, what would the world be lacking? Choice. It would be lacking this this otherness. the otherness choice being an aspect of otherness. I'm using choice as the most obvious aspect. The otherness of the world. Okay. Now here's the thing. Otherness is a good thing or a bad thing. It's a. It's an improvement. Neutral. Well, it depends on other from what. Lower. It's not an improvement, but it is an improvement. No, it's not an improvement. It's not an improvement. In other words, like this. In other words, like in other words, like this. In other words, like this. If if the world comes into existence in a way that it doesn't have any real otherness from God, that world is 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 a is a is a is a is a is a is it. We'll use the. That world is an is, is, that world is a complete perfect world. But once the world has an otherness, mm-hmm. right? Once that world has an otherness, so right? The was to make it defective. That's right. No, but that means that that was the goal. I don't care about goals right now. I, I tr- trust me, trust me, trust me. I, I'm I'm not going to explain it. You need to trust me. That doesn't matter right now. If you want to know when it matters, it matters starting in. Um, Chapter thirty-six. I'm not saying the goal there. Like, if obviously if Hashem had to speak it and intention, then he wanted others. But what? But that's not relevant to our discussion. That's what I mean. It's not. I didn't say it's not true. I just said it's not relevant. And when you bring up things that are true and not relevant, it becomes confusing, especially when dealing with abstract things. Okay. No, but why Let us. What's that? Let us summarize first before any more questions. There are two ways human beings relate to things broadly for our purposes. Intention and communication. Thinking and speaking, if you would like simpler words. Okay? In human beings, speaking has an advantage over thinking, and that speaking actually achieves real results where thinking doesn't. Intending doesn't on its own achieve anything. Speaking actually, right? You just, you blurt out something in a moment of anger to someone you care about, right? You can't take that back and that affects your relationship for the rest of your life, right? But if you just intended it, like the minute, like you, it just disappears the minute you want, right? So there's a lack of reality. There's a lack of reality to things that are intended. There isn't that same lack of reality to things that are actually communicated to others. That difference is not applicable when we talk about God. When God intends for things to be, they are real. That's what the verse means when it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. But there is another difference between intending and communicating, between thinking and speaking, which is that intending, thinking, you're not acknowledging any notion of otherness. Whereas in communicating, is all built on giving credibility and validity to the other. So if God creates the world by merely intending, the world is very real. 
but it doesn't have anything in it that really makes it other from God, makes it separate from God, makes it external to God. And as such, that world would be better or worse than the world that we have. It would be better. Much better. If God wants, for whatever reason, and it doesn't matter, to have a world which is external to him, and thus limited, broken, etc., 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 then intending is, the, intending is too good of a way to create it. And so God then would have to then relate to it in a way of, he would have to, he would have to externalize it, to other it. And the analogy to that would be he speaks. So first God intends for the world to exist and the world exists on one level. And then God speaks the world into exist and now we have the world existing on, on another level. Is the world that's spoken more real than the world that was thought? No. It's just... Different. It's different. In a better way or in a worse way? Worse. Worse. It's like a child. Like, you could create a clone of, of yourself as a parent and, like, technically it's perfect. It's exactly what you are, but, like, there's someone that has differences from you. I, 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 you know? I really, really, like really, really, really... I, I cannot emphasize this enough. Don't you, use you, no, not use mushrooms. Don't shift the topic. There is something about what I am saying which, which people don't like. And they may be even right about this. But that's all... That God speaking the world into being is making things worse. Not making things better. Now, is there a purpose for making things worse? Sure, there's a purpose for making things worse. Is that the topic of discussion? If we start moving our minds in that direction, what are we no longer doing? Studying these topics, okay? But communication requires another side. Like we That's right, okay. So, so, so. And we are the other side, or who, who is the... Because Everything that isn't God is the other side. Which is... Which is the angels, the trees. Every creation. Every but, creation. And okay, now, there is a difference between thinking and, and speaking as people do it, and God does it, is that we think and speak about and to things that already exist, whereas God thinks and speaks things into being. Okay, so we're abstracting a certain aspect of the relationship. This is what I mean. We say God is a hot dog in a spiritual sense. Like, well, what do you mean? God thinks the world into being. What do you mean? I mean that it, God does not need to do anything other than give value to the world's existence for the world to come into being. That's what I mean. God speaks the world into being is that God gives the world being in a way of being other than him in the way that, similar to the way our speech is the way we relate to things that are other. But then there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't carry over, right? The inability... What? Aloneness. Aloneness. We're not even to the aloneness part yet. Which way? Stuff doesn't get... Like the fact that my thoughts don't really have much of an effect of anything, that's not true with God. Um, like speaking involves exhaling air and making, you know, and, mo- and, and modifying it with your vocal cords in your mouth. That, as of right now, doesn't carry over, right? The fact that um, there's no notion of people making things come into being, only relating to things that are in being, already exist, or modifying the things that already exist. There's a lot of things that don't carry over. We're abstracting very specific points and carrying them over. So now, when it says in the Chumash that... Does it mean he thought the light into being or he spoke the light into being? It means both. It means both. It's nice that there's a word that actually means both. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, good. So basically what it's saying is that Hashem spoke to himself and the word world came. 
So and then, and then, in a it, sense, and he thought it, and also in a sense that it actually. No, no, he's happened. no, he's right, right. So he spoke. He thought. He said to himself. He intended it and it came into being. And he said it. And then he went and said it, and it became a being that is completely different, other than him. Mm-hmm. One second. One second. One second. Is this kind of two stage, two layers of creation make sense to people, mm-hmm. on at least a very basic level? Yeah. Yes. Okay, now, when the verse says, when the verse wants to describe specifically think the creation from thought, it says, he commanded and they came into being, passive. That makes sense, because God is not actively engaging with them. When it wants to describe specifically God um, creating them in a way of, 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 of relating to them as other, which requires some active engagement on God's part, because right, you engage with things that are other than yourself. That's what involvement means. To be invested, engage with something other than yourself. It uses the phrase, Bereshis bara, he, God created. So now, if we go back to the Tanya, and the Tanya says, God is alone, the same way he was before they were created, he is alone even after he created them. What are we contrasting? The state of God's being prior to the intention of the existence of the world. Right. Is the same. God is just as alone, just as he was absolutely alone then. He didn't even have it. We're talking about a level where God doesn't even have an intent for the world. He remains just as alone even after he's actively engaged in creating the world and making it something other than himself. Now, that is not intuitively obvious how that makes any sense. Right? To say that he is alone prior to having any sort of interest or desire or thought of the world. And he remains in that state even as he's actively involved in engaging the world as something other than himself. That doesn't sound like he's remained unchanged and alone in the same way. And yet that is exactly what the author wants. That's what he's claiming. That's what he wants to explain. So essentially he is not doing, he just is just being. No. No. Essentially, his doing doesn't make his doing doesn't have the effect of changing his aloneness the way our doing does. Ah. And that needs to be explained. Hmm. Which is why there's more of the chapter. And we're like three lines in. Yes. So when we say that Hashem is like constantly saying our name, and then if he stops saying our name, that means we like don't exist anymore. Is it saying in the level of Existing of Debor or also in Hashem's intentions and his mouth? Both. In other words, if God were to, were to not intend the world, then the world that exists by virtue of his thought wouldn't exist. And if God doesn't speak, then the world that exists by virtue the world as it exists by virtue of speak would not be. But so, that's what I'm but that is not relevant to chapter twenty of Tanya at all. That is relevant to chapter one and two of Shariq Bamuna. Different idea, not related. It's funny because there's so much unity of God in this, but it, there's actually a bunch of different ideas and each one has to be dealt with separately. This unity, is it like, like the um, intention and communication is not related to the Chava eating the apple? Like, it's not related to like... No, 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 We're talking about because, things existing that are other than God. We're not talking about evil yet. No, but like, no. if we're talking on, on the level of perfection, otherness, isn't that no, 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 no. By the way, 
Well, while we're on the topic, do you know what they say on Shabbos that the world is holier? Mm-hmm. Why is the world holier on Shabbos? Is there what? I you could put it that way, but uh, but not exactly. So let me let me let me. One of the issues that happens when you're speaking is that you run into the issue that your speech doesn't always convey clearly your intent, right? Mm-hmm. Now there's two layers here. There are the people that can understand what you're saying, and there are people that can't understand what you're saying. The dogma imani matchil. Right? Okay. But those of you who have some understanding Hebrew understood what I was saying, right? right? Okay. So people who don't even understand the language, it doesn't matter what words you use. Right? No, it's not going to. You know. But people who do have some sense of what the words are meant to convey, you do run into the issue that sometimes your words are very clear, are very clearly convey your intent, and sometimes the words. Sorry, you have to really work hard to figure out what the intent is in the words, right? So here's the question: the world that's created with Hashem's speech. How clearly does it reflect the world created by Hashem's thought? No, it's not. We don't know. It's not and the answer is like this. The answer is like this. On the weekday, if you work really hard, you can, you can relate to this world that's created with Hashem's speech in such a way that you can pick up what the world is as it is in Hashem's thought. But on Shabbos, you don't have to work hard at all. It's just very obvious. What's the problem? How come we don't notice the difference between Shabbos and the weekday? Because we're like the person who just hears random sounds and doesn't even pick up any meaning at all. In other words, if I'm a person who walks down the street and my experience of life is I sense that there is divine intent behind everything, I really sense that and experience that. It's not a belief that I have. I have that belief. It's not a philosophical position I understand. Like It is my actual experiential sense of the world. The same way right now you're, you're like, I'm speaking in English, like the fact that I'm in communicating ideas comes through just experientially. If that's how you experience the world, then on Shabbos you experience the world radically differently. Because during the week you have to work really, really hard to figure out what the divine intent is. And on Shabbos, just regular living in the world conveys the divine intent clearly. The rest of us, though, who don't actually experience the divine intent coming through the divine speech. That's the way it works. That, 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 that's the difference. That's why on Shabbos, um, there's an idea that regular, just date, mundane activities can be holy. Because, in other words, let's say, I'm, let's say I am eating. Right? To, to turn the experience of eating into something where one experiences the divine intent is very difficult. On Shabbos, it's already, it's already, it already is that way, so just, you have to eat. Now, this is not so true with you and me. Why is it not true with you and me? Because we're not sensitive to divine intent to begin with. For like the person who doesn't speak Hebrew, it doesn't matter what vocabulary you use in Hebrew, it's still going to be gibberish to me. 
Right? But this is why, like, like mystics, like for them, the experience of eating on Shabbos is different than the experience of eating during the week. There's a lot in Jewish mysticism that only is explained based on the idea that there is fundamentally two creations. The creation that results from Hashem intending there to be reality, and then the result of Hashem othering reality. Him thinking about it versus him speaking about it. And speaking doesn't make it more real, it just makes it more other than him. And other than him is not a positive thing we're talking about God. It's, 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 it's a, a degeneration of reality. It's not, a, it's not an improvement in reality. But then um, ignoring everything that I, like, like we said, like ignoring everything that I, like no prior from what I learned not mm-hmm. related to this, uh, Goyim are also part of this other reality that we live in, right? Like, mm. it's, you know, yeah. um, doesn't matter, like, God is soul, whatever. I'm saying, like, for instance, we don't have to make the effort to see the, like, the wholeness of Shabbos and the difference from other days, but people, people who are not related to, like, Goyim are not seeing the, um, like, the, the, so- it's, it's, not, it's not any other day for them. And I'm saying, if, we're, if, if it's substantially and conceptually and practically just different day, um, then how come everyone else doesn't, like, doesn't see it? So the simple answer is, only the godly soul is capable okay, of it. So dis- <laughs> which is also why we don't experience it. Because remember I spoke about in this class that when we started the introduction to Tanya, that just because we have a godly soul doesn't mean it actually is like becomes who we are as people. That would make us holy person. So holy people experience a difference. We have to keep Shabbos because even though we don't experience our soul, our soul is still yeah. experiencing the Shabbos. But a non-Jew doesn't have a godly soul. It's ridiculous for them to keep Shabbos. It's like, it's like you insisting on going to like a, 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 a class in Chinese when you don't speak Chinese because the topic is really interesting. Yeah. Like, like why are you there? You're not going to understand anything. So then, according to this logic, Goyim even potentially are not able to see the intention, intention part, period. Like, Correct. Like the true divine intent is not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, only the speech as an effect. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. So, what we've concluded is that the altar is making a very radical statement. That the degree to which God is alone before he even intends for there to be a world is the same degree to which God remains alone even when he is actively involved in engaging with the world as something other than himself. Explanation required. To be continued. Good. That will do next week. Wow, wait, wait.